Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Thank you. It's good to see you. You doing all right? What a crazy week, huh? Snowvid 21. Wow. You know, I want to share a couple things before we jump into the message. One, I feel like what we experienced in a way is a prophetic picture of what God wants to do. And what, what we experienced is that we experience a blanket of white over our state. And I believe that God wants to purify the state of Texas, that he wants to bring revival in such a way that the world just can't handle it. I also think we experienced a significant sign of growth for us. And that's this, the power outages that we experienced were, the, were I think a picture that the church is not quite ready to handle what God wants to bring our way. And what he's saying is that you need increased connection to receive the power that I'm bringing to you so that you can handle the harvest that's coming. And so it's, it's interesting when Jesus met with the Samaritan woman at the well and he told her about her whole life, she went away, she told the village, the village came and Jesus said to his disciples who, showed, who had shown up in the meantime, he said, look, the fields are white with harvest. Interesting thing in that day is that Samaritans typically dressed in all white. And so what they saw was actually the harvest of people coming towards them. And I believe this, that in the days ahead, we're going to see a move of God. And it is our responsibility, church. And when I say church, I don't just mean organizationally church, I mean you and me church, that we would be ready to carry the power of God so that we could handle what God wants to do in our day. Amen. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you. But, but what I want to also do is just address and even walk you through how to deal with maybe what you've just experienced or what you've experienced even over the last year. And that is that in seasons like this, what we experience is trauma. Everybody say trauma. What I'm not going to do is turn you into a victim in this moment. I want to teach you how to walk victoriously, okay? This is what I learned when I went through a season of depression. I want to give you real quick and walk you through a tool that God gave me to dig out of that season. And it's a way to deal with the difficult experiences that we have. Now, sometimes when we think trauma, we think about it comparatively, right? Like maybe you're in here and your parents fought in World War, or your, your father fought in World War II, and it's like, you know he experienced trauma, and comparatively, you're like, oh, I didn't really go through anything. Trauma doesn't work that way. That when you get hit with something that throws you off emotionally and spiritually, it can be traumatic and mark you. And so it doesn't matter how big it is, it matters actually how it affects you. So, if somebody turned off a light right now, like all the power went out and you had like a jolt reaction, you probably have some trauma that you've experienced this last week from not having power. Um, we've experienced trauma in the middle of coronavirus, like just the way that that stuff has affected us. Many of us have been 
just thrown off by it. Like we don't even know what to do, how to make sense of it. Sometimes we go numb. Sometimes we escape into other things. Sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we're covered in fear and anxiety. So what I wanna do is just walk you through what it looks like to pray through that. And, and we'll actually do that together. Um, and you, for me, this is something if I am feeling off that I actually just process with God and say, okay, God, what's really going on and help me get to the right place in you so that I can walk free and be unmarked from what I've experienced. You ready to go there with me? Okay. So you just go ahead and close your eyes. I just want you to think about the emotions that you experienced this last week. Maybe it was fear or anxiety. Maybe it was stress. Maybe it's how can I take care of my family? Got little kids, are they gonna make it? You've seen the shelves at HEB, they're empty. Just all of that stuff, just allow those feelings to surface. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you are with us, that you search us and know us. And Lord, I just pray that those emotions just for this moment would, would surface to our minds, that we would be able to see them and name them. Now I want to ask you just to tell God, God, this is what I experienced. Maybe, God, I just felt really afraid. God, I trust you with my emotion, with my experience. Scripture promises us, Jesus has told us that he'll never leave us or forsake us. So now I just want you to ask God, God, where, where were you in all of this? And I promise you this, that he was there. I want you to say, God, I thank you that you were with me, that you're always with me. And Lord, I receive your comfort. When Jesus promises in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It does not say blessed are those who pain, for they will be comforted. There is something about the recognition of our pain in mourning. And that's what mourning does. Mourning recognizes, hey, that hurt. Even if it hurt a little bit, it still matters to God. And he says, for they will be comforted. The promise of God is that when you present your pain to him, that he will comfort you. Second Corinthians 1 calls God the God of all comfort. So now I just say, God, I just receive your comfort. Holy Spirit, I thank you that that's who you are, that you're my comforter. Lord, I receive your peace. Just go ahead and put your hands on your head. God, I receive your peace. No fear, no anxiety. Just release the shalom, the peace of heaven into every mind. Put your hand on your heart. 
Jesus told that Samaritan woman at the well that she was created to have streams of living water flowing from within her. I just declare over you that the very God who created the universe, the source of everything, the source that never runs dry, lives in you. I just speak to your spirit man and I say, come alive. Declare streams of living water flowing within you. Declare a restoration of peace and joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if I went too fast for you, like sometimes I get it, like we're surrounded by a whole bunch of things that are messing with our senses. And so if, if praying through that was like, hey, that was good, but I didn't quite get there. Here's what I encourage you to do. You probably picked up the simplicity of what we just did. It's really just inviting God into what your experience is and receiving his, his healing and his comfort. Um, but you can, if you didn't catch it, you could go back, watch it on YouTube or on our podcast or whatever, and you can pick it up and process with God. But that's what I do regularly when I feel off. And man, I just experience the presence of God and it allows me to be a free flowing river and allow his life to flow out of me because I'm not hung up on a bunch of stuff that I'm dragging along with me. And so I just encourage you, even just to make that a habit, just to process your experiences and emotions with God and allow him to meet you because there is so much life in that. Amen? Amen. So with everything that we've been through in the last year or so, we're gonna talk about marriage. And if you just spent the week cooped up in the house with your spouse, you're probably thinking, man, I could hear a marriage talk right now. I could use some help. I have a coworker, uh, not in church, so it's actually not anybody in this room, but in business. And she told me that after uh, a week at home with her husband, she is never going to retire. <laughs> um, let me say this, as we talk about marriage, Lauren and I have been uh, mostly happily married for 15 years. No, very happily married for 15 years. We have the perfect marriage for us. Um, I love what God has done in our marriage. Our marriage has refined me so much. Um, But there is no perfect marriage, right? And there is no perfect spouse except for the one that God gave you, if you choose to see them that way. And we're just gonna share with you from our, it'll be, I think, at the beginning of next month, March 4th, it'll be our 15-year anniversary. So what we've learned in our 15 years. Um, Many of you have many times that on us and we honor that on you, uh, honor that in you. And uh, we just thank you for humbly receiving from us in in marriage. Um, I do believe this, that God has some keys for us that are are really kingdom keys on marriage that can bless you no matter where you are in life. If you are not married, I believe this talk is for you. If you're waiting to be married, I believe that God wants to give you some stuff. By the way, if you're waiting to be married, you have supernaturally the gift of celibacy. And that gift will get a transition on the day you get married. But until you get married, you have the gift of celibacy. God wants to give you grace uh, for that. You may be here and you uh, have gone through 
divorce. And I want you to know that in this church family, there is no shame for people who have gone through divorce because we believe that we have a God of restoration and that he actually wants to restore to you what was lost, okay? Whether that was your decision, somebody else's decision, justified or unjustified, that I believe that God is merciful and he has grace and he does not make you a second-class citizen in the kingdom. So what we wanna do is actually talk about marriage that leaves a legacy because I believe that the greatest gift that you can give to your kids is a good marriage. That it's actually that you would prioritize first God, then each other, and then your kids, not the other way around. When we get that out of order, it will mess up our kids. When they come between us, there's a major problem, okay? So, but I believe this, that, that God wants to give us in our church family marriages that leave a legacy. A legacy is not what you leave to somebody, it's what you leave in somebody. And so we wanna talk a little bit about what legacy is. Let me say this, you may have adult kids and your marriage has already had the impact that it's had. It is never too late to see the restoration of God and it is never too late to clean up your mess. Seriously, like no, there's no perfect parents other than Father God. And so if you've made a mess with your kids, the greatest thing you could do is not try harder, but to humbly go before them and say, hey, we didn't get this right. And we, we just, we apologize. And what you'll see is that as you go back and name it and clean it up, that you'll actually see them move forward in freedom. Um, and what happens when we have an inheritance without a legacy? Like some of us get so focused on building an inheritance that we forget about legacy is that we actually in, create entitled brats. And so we really want to focus on the legacy that we leave. Now, some of you have the legacy that's gone ahead of you has been a mess, right? Like your parents and for generations, maybe it was a mess. I want to share briefly, I'll share more next week about my great-grandpa George. My great-grandpa George grew up in an abusive alcoholic home that was really, really bad. At a young age, he actually ran away from home, did not go past the sixth grade in his education, but he chose to follow Jesus. And he allowed his life to be what changed generations. And from him, there have been missionaries and doctors and lawyers and NASA uh, engineers, like all sorts of stuff because he chose to be the one to sacrifice so that there could be transformation. So you may be the recipient like me of an incredible legacy that started with great-grandpa George, but you may also be the person positioned like great-grandpa George who has to sacrifice so that other people can experience what God wants to do in them and through them. Awesome. 
Yeah, and our desire is that Sozo would be filled with powerful individuals and powerful marriages, that we would understand that as the bride of Christ, it is our responsibility to represent to the world what a healthy marriage looks like. And as we were in worship, God just kept showing me that we are the bride. We are the bride, and and we are to represent to the world what it looks like to honor our groom what it looks like to be a healthy marriage. The world will know what it looks like to be in relationship with Jesus through our marriages. And that is huge. That is a huge responsibility, but but we really desire that our marriages would be thriving in, in this place and that marriage wouldn't just happen to us. You know, that we wouldn't be a victim of each other in our marriages and we get to the end of our lives and we're like, well, that just happened to me and it was horrible but that we actually would steward our marriages in a way that we want them to go. There's actually an action that that you have to take to be a force in your marriage to make it go the direction that you want it to go and that we're not just victims of each other. Um, I've shared this before, but one of my favorite um, scenes from a movie is in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, whenever the mother is telling the daughter, your father may be the head, but I am the neck. And I can turn the head any way I want it to go, right? Yeah. And as a woman, that's a huge responsibility. That's huge to know that as a woman, as the wife in my family, that I actually can turn my family towards prosperity or harm, towards growth or decay. That is a huge responsibility. And as the bride of Christ, that is also our position, that the way we choose to live our lives, the way we choose to steward our personal lives, our families, actually will turn the family in a certain direction. Um, but what an honor it is. It says in Proverbs 21.9 that it's better to live on a corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Amen. <laughs> and he repeats that to me every time I oppose him. No, not really, no. Um, but... But to recognize as a wife, I don't just exist as his, uh, his help meet to just serve him, but that actually I am a powerful force, that my life is a powerful force. And it is my responsibility to take responsibility for my life in partnership with him so that our family can go in the way that we want it to go and the way that God has called it to go, right? So um, we have two daughters, Eliza and Evelyn, and... Um, and I look at their lives and, and as a woman, recognizing that they carry in their body the eggs that are hurt their children. And actually they carry in their body future generations. And I carry from the time that I was created in my mother's room, I carried future generations. And so the reality is, is that my life is not my own and my body is not my own. My life belongs to future generations and my body belongs to future generations. And as the bride of Christ, our lives belong to future generations. It is not our own. It is our responsibility to steward our lives in a way that points future generations in the direction that they're supposed to go. And what a a great joy it is and what a joy it is to teach my daughters. It is your responsibility to steward your life in a way that future generations can come through you. Yay. Yay, God. Awesome. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> so let's go to Genesis 
chapter two. We're gonna be at the very beginning here and we'll start halfway through verse 20. It says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, Adam had a big call from God. His call was actually to take the garden and extend its boundaries to cover the whole earth so that the kingdom of God would be cultivated to cover the earth. And it says that no suitable helper was found for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep into a deep sleep. We got any single guys here? Few? Put your hands up real quick, guys. Single ladies, where are you? Single ladies, find the guys with their hands up. Um, No, let me say this that you should take a cue from how Adam found his wife. He actually fell asleep and trusted God. He didn't try to make it happen, but he actually allowed God to do what he was going to do. And so just trust God. If you run full on after God in obedience, what you're gonna find is that God's gonna bring that woman to you. Most men are, uh, young men hoping to get married are waiting for their wife to show up but they need to actually be working on who they are so that they would be the right young man for that woman to marry. As I think about, uh, yes. And as I think about my little girls, the bar is gonna be really high. And if these guys don't get their stuff together, it's not gonna happen. So so anyways, where were we? I got excited about, yeah. Uh, deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. Say rib. And then he closed up the place with with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. Say rib again. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Interesting thing, that word rib is actually not a very good translation. A better translation, the, the right Hebrew translation would actually be a side. Say side. side. So it was not just like, hey, here, here's my rib. Let me see what you can make out of it, God. But what God actually did is he took humanity that was fully developed in Adam in the image of God, and he separated male and female in that moment. This is a big deal because man and woman actually together bear the image of God. And so what God had done is he had taken femininity and masculinity and he separated them into two unique beings. And then if we read on, what we discover is that he then says, let covenant love be what binds them together. Now that's pretty unique and pretty powerful. And it actually speaks to a few things. One of the things that it speaks to is that in our culture, in our day, we're having a major crisis on the difference between men and women, feminine and masculine. And the problem that we have is that we're moving towards, this is a good thing, we're moving towards equality because men are not better than women and women are not better than men. However, men and women are different, and they bring different strengths together, and there is a variation in the strengths that different men carry, different women carry. There is also overlap in those strengths. I believe this, that men 
and women can do many of the same things well. And there is probably a woman out there that could do almost everything that I can do better than I can do it. So I'm not saying that there is like that women are less than, but what I am saying is that there is actually a difference. And what the, the scientific studies, the sociological studies, like the science, not just somebody's opinion, but real studies have shown is that the more egalitarian a culture is, meaning the more uh, the, that men and women have the same opportunities, the more distinct their differences become. Which is really interesting because everybody thought it would be the opposite and even the scientists conducting the study hoped it would be different. But what they found was that actually that men and women actually move in different directions when the playing field is level. Now, I am a fan for level playing fields, but I also think this. With level playing fields, we also need to allow women to be women and men to be men. And it doesn't mean that there can't be crossover in the things that they do. But I think for us, I think it's really important that we understand that in marriage, the way that God designed it is that man and woman would come together and in that union represent him really well. I believe that's God's design for us for marriage. And in that, we represent him. It's interesting that as you go further, so, so what we want to talk about is actually covenant oneness because that's what God has for us. That when you read in Ephesians chapter five, verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord. In the context of mutual submission, it then goes into uh, wives submit to your husbands as he is the head. Now, here's the interesting thing about the word head in marriage and in the relationship of men and women in marriage is the word head is the same word, it's kafale, it's the same word that's used for headwaters. So the context first is mutual submission. For us in marriage, we're running together. I recognize this, that my role as the head of my family has more responsibility to it than privilege. And that my responsibility as the Greek word kafale is, is that I would actually be the headwaters, the place that life flows to my family from. And so it's my responsibility as a husband to be like Jesus, which is what Ephesians 5 goes on to say, and actually lay down my life for my family. That it's actually a sacrificial call, not a privilege call. Now, I think what happens in the church is a lot of men read this verse and think headship somehow means privilege and command and control and domination. That's not what this is saying. This is saying that you're supposed to be the self-sacrificing one that sets the tone for your family that life flows out of. When we get that out of order and we focus on the privilege instead of the responsibility, it's called abuse. It's a misuse of authority, and it will do damage in your family. And so what God has done is he's said to us that connection is the key. And I believe this, that life, spiritual life, marriage is all about oneness and connection. It's about our oneness with God, and it's about our connection with each other. It's actually about covenant, which is an agreement made 
for the purpose of oneness. Your salvation is a covenant connection for oneness, that God wants to be one with you. And when you say, I do, what happens is, is that you're making an agreement with your spouse to lay down your life for the purpose of covenant connection. And I believe that it's in our connection that we represent who God is well to our kids in a way that leaves a legacy and to the world around us in a way that points them towards Jesus. And oneness is hard. A good marriage is hard work. But you know what else? A bad marriage is hard work. Divorce is hard work. So you just have to decide where are you going to put in the hard work? If we choose, we say, well, a good marriage is too hard. I'd rather settle for a bad marriage. That's hard work to navigate a bad marriage. And you're like, well, a bad marriage, that bad marriage is just too hard. I'm going to get out. I'm going to choose a divorce. That's hard work too. And so we have to decide where are we going to put in the hard work? Where are we going to fight for, for our oneness? I think the three most common uh, sources of conflict in marriage, and if you have a good marriage, you're going to conflict. Actually, conflict is an opportunity to grow. And so the three main sources often, if you're married, you would recognize is sex, Money and in-laws or family, right? Right? You like think about, you're like, when's the last time I fought? It was probably one of those three. But often if you look at the underlying issue underneath those, if you're experiencing disconnection in sex, it's probably because you are uh, disconnected in your oneness. There's broken connection. There's misunderstanding there. Oftentimes, whenever we don't want to be intimate with someone, it's because we feel violated in some way. We feel a disconnection. Maybe we don't have intimacy in our communication. And so to have physical intimacy is really hard when you feel misunderstood, right? Where you're like, you don't know me in this way, so why would I let you know me in that way? So often there's a brokenness. Or maybe it's with money. Often the underlying problem with that is that you lack common vision, well, he wants to spend money on a boat, but I want to save money for a house. Well, he doesn't want to work. I want him to, you know, like you don't have the same vision for life. And so if you're experiencing conflict, uh, whenever it comes to finance, maybe take some time just to sit down and say, okay, what is our vision together? And why are we not on the same page with this? And how can we have common vision? How can we have oneness in this? Or maybe with family or in-laws, maybe there, there's an underlying difference in culture. Well, my family did it this way. Well, my mom did it that way. Well, I think we should do it this way, right? It's a difference in culture that brings disconnection. And so I think oftentimes we aren't aware of the underlying issues. And so we see the disconnection there and we see, and we see the conflict and we're like, oh no, we can't be one. We have to disconnect because we misunderstand each other in this way. But actually that's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to press in for oneness Danny Silk says that peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the authority over chaos. So in order to have peace doesn't mean that you're not going to have conflict. It's actually recognizing who you are, the authority that you carry in your marriage, and how to walk out that authority to bring peace. So every attack is an attack on your oneness. We must protect our oneness. So many times whenever we're in conflict, He's the problem, right? Yeah? And he's attacking me, you know? 
And, and, and we really have come to this place where we rec- when we recognize, when we're experiencing disconnection, there is actually an outside accuser coming against us. That I am not his accuser and he is not my accuser. There's actually an accuser outside of us. And so to recognize when we're fighting, to say, ouch, that hurt. Yeah, I recognize that, but whoa, what's going on? What is coming against us right now? Don't you understand that we're like this dynamic duo and there's something out there that hates us and doesn't want us to be one. And so instead of fighting you, I'm actually gonna fight with you for our oneness. Sometimes that looks like a hard conversation. Sometimes that looks like you go to your corner, I'm gonna go to my corner and we're gonna work on this thing and then we're gonna come back together and find a resolution. But to recognize we are not each other's accusers, we actually were created to be each other's greatest cheerleaders. So if you're in that place of conflict and you're feeling accusation, oftentimes what I have to do is I have to get away and say, God, give me my eyes for Joel because right now this is really irking me and I can't stand it or whatever it is. Um, If you have kids, like the stress of kids and you're like whole nother level. Um, But to recognize that I am not his accuser and and we saw it in the garden in the beginning when the enemy comes and accuses Uh, God of not being uh, good to Eve whenever he says, didn't he say, did he really say that you would die? And he created doubt in her mind and she had started to believe the lie of lack. So so Satan is accusing God. So then they eat the fruit and, 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 then, and then they start accusing God together. You know, Adam is like this woman that you gave me that made me eat this God. Like, isn't it your fault and her fault? And then she's like, you know, he did it. And, and everyone is like accusing each other. And the enemy is like, awesome. Oneness destroyed. And ever since that day, we have been fighting to get back to that place. And the amazing thing is, is that we have Jesus so that we can actually be one again with our spouse, that we don't have to partner with the accuser in our marriage. And so I'm just gonna share a few practical tips on what do you do when you hurt each other? What do you do when you're in conflict? And like Joel said earlier, we often don't wanna clean up our messes. With little kids, when I'm like, can you go clean up your mess? They're like, can you do it? (laughs) Sure. Right? But even as adults, when God's like, hey, can you go clean up that mess? And we're like, God, can you do it? Right? And we don't want to clean up our mess. So the first step is recognizing I have a mess and I am responsible for cleaning it up. You become a mature adult the day that you recognize and take responsibility for the things that you do, don't do, or how you respond to the things that are done to you. You become a mature adult when you take responsibility for those things or the things that you avoid. And so the first step is recognizing how am I going to respond in this moment and what do I have to take responsibility for? And we've also learned to use uh, gentle language with each other. Strong self-statements, gentle, kind use statements. I see that I was selfish in that moment and I see how that moment hurt you. Um, can I, can I uh, tell you how your response affected me? Instead of saying, of course, you always do that. I knew you would do that. You did that last time. And do you know how that made me feel? Right? That we take, make strong I statements and I'm guilty of all of it. Yes. Um, so we fight for right relationship over being right or being the winner of an argument. Doesn't it just feel good to win? We just want to win and we don't want to be wrong. 
But if you pursue that, you will not have oneness. We have to fight for right relationship over being right, which oftentimes requires us to own our stuff, to recognize I messed up. I did not do that right. Um, And oftentimes we circle back around and talk about what really happened. So after the dust settles, after we're like, okay, we're good, we're reconnected, moving forward, we're not gonna do this. We circle back around and we try to understand the why underneath. Why were we fighting about money? Why were we fighting about your family? Why were we fighting about sex? Well, I actually felt this and we try to understand it so that we don't trip over that again. Um, And then uh, the scripture that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Um, So oftentimes, you know, we want to interpret that like it's 11 o'clock at night and you're fighting and you have to get up for work the next day. And you're like, we got to work this thing out until we get right, you know, and then you're exhausted. So oftentimes what we do is we just say, um, let's just get some resolution here. Let's just decide that we're going to be connected again. Um, Let's not be angry. I forgive you. Now, tomorrow, whenever we have slept and we've prayed through it with God, we're going to come back around and we're going to bring resolution so that we don't do that again to each other. Um, and so uh, those are just some few keys that, that we do that recognizing we're fighting with each other for each other, not against each other. And um, just some of my advice to some unmarried people, if you're looking for someone, this is what I wanted to say, you need to be looking for someone, do they love Jesus? Not just, are they a Christian, but do they love Jesus? And what is their thought life like? Because their thoughts will direct the course of your life. And the way you know what someone's thought life is like is the words that come out of their mouth reveals what their thoughts are. So if you're in the market for for a lover, do they love Jesus? And what are they saying? It will reveal what is in in their mind. So we talked a little bit about, that was really good, Lauren. When she gets going, she just brings the fire. It's awesome. As long as it's not aimed at me, it's awesome. (laughs) Just aim it at them, all right? Them. Um, We talked a little bit about connection, a little bit about conflict. I want to talk to you just for a second about contentment. Say contentment. So what I have recognized is that I have the opportunity to go to bed with the most beautiful woman in the universe for the rest of my life or not. And you see, what we're facing in our day is really unprecedented because the world, the media, everything is vying for our attention and our affection and it's an attempt to steal our, our contentment and our connection. And so, what we think oftentimes is that I can't help what I'm attracted to, and therefore, I am moved by external circumstances, by whatever comes my way. But it's actually true that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And when I talk about beauty, I'm not just talking about appearances, but I'm talking about all that is in a person, all that they are. And see, you have a responsibility to steward your affection for the purpose of contentment. Years ago, 
we were listening to a preacher, and he said that your wife should be the definition of beauty for you. I got so frustrated with that statement, probably like some of you are, not because I didn't find my wife beautiful, but I thought I had no control over what I thought was beautiful. So I've begun to recognize this reality for both of us that we're actually aging. Like, <laughs> I'm not as young as I once was, and I don't have as much hair as I used to have. And if Lauren wants to keep her contentment, she has to develop a thing for bald guys. <laughs> like that has to be her thing. Like she's got to be a bald guy gal. And it's our responsibility to steward our affection so that we can steward our contentment. And what I've recognized is that I want to, for the rest of my life, be married to the most beautiful, most excellent woman in the world. And the only person that gets to determine if that continues is me. And so what I want to encourage you, both men and women, because we all have attraction, is that you would actually steward your attraction and your contentment, your affection, that those moments of conflict where she's driving you crazy that you would not make an agreement with that judgment in a way that would steal your affection. When that image comes across the TV that you would not move into that place of lust and say, the, it's one thing to say that person is beautiful. It's another thing to say, and now I want it. Does that make sense? Yes. And, and when we allow our affection to be stolen, what will happen is that we'll actually, as Proverbs says, we'll leap coal into our own lap. We'll actually cause damage to ourselves. And so I want to encourage you that if you want to keep connection, allow your spouse to be the definition of beauty. You're actually in control of your thoughts and your attractiveness. And it's what you choose to think about and meditate on that will direct the course of your affection and of your contentment. Let me say this also about contentment, is that curiosity is key to connection and contentment. You see, what we want to do, and we do this with God, we can do this with our relationships, with our spouse, is we want to put people in a box and say, we've got them figured out, and this is who they are. But the truth is, is that people are always changing. If you want to have delight in your spouse, stay curious. If you want to have delight in God, stay curious, because... There's more to discover than you know. And with your spouse, they are always changing and growing. And so when you stay curious, you then approach them with openness and intrigue, with affection and delight. And it allows you to enjoy them more, even as they grow and as they change. 
we wrap up, I'm sure as you listened, you felt some things inside you. Maybe you felt some guilt or like, oh man, I blew it in this area. And there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. If you heard a voice that was saying, you messed up in this area and this is how you're always going to be and you'll never change and you're a horrible husband, you're a horrible wife, whatever it is, you're gonna be just like your parents, that's condemnation. But if you heard a voice that was like, these are some areas that that need to change and there's a better way and there's a way out, then that's conviction. And so when you hear condemnation, you refuse it. You say, no, I'm not gonna partner with that. I wanna hear the conviction of the Lord. And when you hear the conviction of the Lord, you choose humility. You trust that God is for you. And you say, I'm gonna choose to step into a better way. And so I wanna ask you, what is God speaking to you this morning? What is he saying to you? And and what do you need to do about it? And that voice of condemnation, you need to just send it straight to hell and say, I'm not gonna listen to it. I'm not gonna listen to it. I'm gonna partner with the conviction of God and I'm gonna step in to greater hope in the area of marriage. So let me pray for you. Thank you, Jesus, for marriage. Thank you for that picture of what it is to be one, to be one with you, our groom, for the bride to be one. And we understand, Lord, that through marriage, the world will know what it is to be one with you. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and direct our marriages, to direct our family, to bring healing, to bring correction where it needs to happen, Lord, and that you would move us forward as an example to the world. Lord, would our children grow up in homes of healthy marriages? And would Sozo Church be known as a church full of healthy marriages? I pray, Lord, like in John 17, that we would be one as you are one, that we would be one And so I bless this church body with oneness, with connection, that they would have deep connection with you, deep intimacy with you, and that it would overflow into their marriages and into their family in Jesus' name, amen. And maybe as we've been speaking, the Lord's been drawing you to his heart. And I just want to not move on without giving you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, that you actually have the opportunity to be one with him, to be in covenant relationship with him. Jesus did that by giving his life on the cross for us, by by being a self-sacrificing leader who paved the way for us, who forgave our sin and now has empowered us to live new life, resurrection life, when he rose from the grave. And so if, if this morning you want to give your life to Jesus, I just encourage you to do this. Just pray, Jesus, I, I need you. I trust you with my life. I recognize that I have sinned, that I've rebelled against you, that I've gone my own way. And I give my life to you. I trust that you defeated sin and death, separation itself on the cross. And Lord, that I would just receive your resurrection life. I make you both my Lord, my master, the one I follow, and my savior, the one who makes me clean and holy, righteous and pure. And if you do that, let somebody, let everybody know we'd love to celebrate with you.